Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilling. So yeah, we're, we're in part two of this. We're going to tell the rest of our story here. And before we get into that, you know, I want to just remind you that, that we're talking about relationships because life is meaningless without them. Life has no meaning without relationships, you know? You, you can have all the resources in the entire world. You can have all the time off in the entire world to do whatever it is that you want, to pursue your hobbies, to pursue your, your own, like, personal desires. But if you don't have somebody to do it with, it's pretty empty. It's pretty hollow. And so just even looking at the personhood of God in the Trinity, the God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit— Right there is, is just this loving relationship that exists within the Godhead. And, and so it just kind of goes to, he's, God models for us. God is, God is love. God is about relationships. And that's how he created you. And you cannot do life without relationships. And so, you know, some of us, we've, we've been hurt. And so we pull back from people. And, uh, and really, we, we do that as a defense mechanism, thinking, well, this is what I need to do. I need to do this to not get hurt again. But then, then we just kind of cut ourselves off at the life source because, again, life is about relationships. And so that's why we're talking about this, having healthy relationships. And just a, a couple anchor, anchor verses here. Uh, first one in Ephesians chapter 4. We read this last week. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. So you have a calling on your life, whether you realize that or not, whether you know that or not, whether you know that you have a calling, but you're not even sure what that is yet. God has a calling on your life. He made you on purpose with a purpose. And so Paul is saying, hey, now that he's made you on purpose with a purpose, walk worthy of that purpose. And God doesn't call you to do something and then not give you the equipment to walk it out. And so Paul's saying part of the way that you walk out your calling in a worthy manner is the way that you do relationships with humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And I like that word there in verse 3. It says being diligent. Because it takes diligence. This, like doing relationships, doing them the right way, having healthy relationships does not just come automatically. It takes diligence. It takes work. It takes partnering with the Holy Spirit. It takes going, God, less of me and more of you. And, and Jesus said this in John chapter 13, again, these last moments that he's spending with the disciples before he goes to Gethsemane. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And Jesus is saying, hey, I've modeled it for you, and I'm about to take the next step of modeling it for you, what it looks like to lay your life down for a brother. There's no greater love than that person that lays their life down for a friend. And he says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one for another. And so Jesus even is saying, again, your relationships, they exist for purpose. And part of that purpose is that so other people in the world will see me glorified through your relationships. What did he say? All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so I, the, the, 
the purpose for doing healthy relationships isn't just so that I can be happy and that we can be happy in our marriage or in any kind of relationship that I have. It's also to bring glory to God so that other people can see that we have love for one another and that we belong to Jesus. And so uh, I, I love this. This is a beautiful thing. But you know what? It's, it's hard work. <laughs> it's not always easy. Um, you know, last week we left off. We started telling you guys our story. And we kind of had to cut it short a little bit. Uh, we kind of had to rush the very end of it. And we, I think where we left off was we were on spring break. We were in Tennessee. Uh, we were in college in Texas. But we were in Tennessee on spring break. I had asked my mom and dad for their blessing for us to you know, be married. And they refused it. But then God kind of worked it all out. And, uh, and that's kind of where we left off. We did get married, as you, as you, might, as you might know. It's 20 years this year we'll have been married. So we were just babies. So let, let's go to the photos real quick. Um, J- I haven't seen these photos. Okay, so that was the photo that we showed you guys last week. That was where uh, on, on the day that I straight up just kind of told Jamie, I have intentions of marrying you. We're at Fall Creek Falls that day. And this was... Uh, this is the this is the good moment right before it got really bad with my family, uh, just like the next day I think. But all right, so we did get married. It all worked out. Uh, God God spoke to us. He fulfilled His word. There's our wedding photo we're again. Babies. Like I told you, we were just that looks like a prom photo more than it does a wedding photo. But all right, and then we've got a couple more photos here. There's our college graduation and. Um, yeah, there's the family right there. Look at our hair. Throwing it back. About 10 years ago, I think. So I think good. that was nine, uh, 10 years ago, I think, that photo is. So I, I, I said something about having a montage of all the different hairstyles that the Swillies have had. But we would be, that would take up the rest of the service yeah, time if we did that. So anyway. So uh, do you have anything to add to that? Okay, so we get married. And yeah, you do. Take it from here. We get married and you just think that, you know, everything's supposed to be just beautiful and wonderful and life is bliss. We got two people that are studying to be in the ministry in college and both grew up in pastor's homes. So we should just be perfect in every way and know how to do life together. And Well, I, I think first off, we're about to be just very vulnerable with you all. So I just need to know you're still going to think that I'm amazing and wonderful after you hear all of the crud that I was in the yuck. So... Um, okay, so we get married, and, you know, the whole two becoming one, it's in every area of your life, and all of a sudden, I'm married to um, this southern boy, and I'm a northern girl. I was raised in the Midwest, and I don't know if any of you are not from here, but Midwestern people are a little more harsh. Little? We kind of just say it like it is. <laughs> We just don't have any time to, you know, y'all are, your words are even longer. Like, you take more time to say things. It's unbelievable. But, um, it's true. So, um, to start with, we're going to talk about communication in marriage and how um, there can be some hurdles in the beginning and all the way through. Our first hurdle was that um, I tended to be the angry dance girl, that girl. I didn't have an angry dance. I didn't have an angry... Did I have an angry dance? No, I didn't have an angry no, dance. No, I don't think so. Okay. But I did I have this like have. way to like... I would hit the lid. I would shove it all down and hit the lid and then go... 
and just like word vomit all over him and my frustrations. And, and once it was all out, I was like, so you want to go see a movie or something? I'd be like, aren't you just furious at me? I don't understand. I'm confused by this way of doing things. Um, you know, you, let, let me just back up for a second. You know, um, there, there's three primary reasons. There, there's a lot of different reasons that, that divorce happens. And when I just talk about divorce, I don't mean just within marriages. Divorce can happen with, among friends. It can, it can happen among it, it, parents and kids. It can happen at the, in the workplace. Um, I'm not talking about having a work wife or anything like that. What I'm talking about is just like divorce happens in all kinds of relationships. And, and, it, and I think sometimes divorce, is, that's not God's plan for our lives. Um, sometimes, you know, sometimes I think sometimes we, we hit a roadblock, we hit some kind of a friction and we just like, we'll give, you know, we give up. But I think a lot, oftentimes it's God's plan for us to walk through that. Now there is time to time. There are some relationships that God does want us to cut off, but I don't think we should ever approach that lightly. We should never approach that in our own discernment. Um, but to, to, the, there's three primary reasons there's divorce in relationships and especially marriages. Communication, you know, we just can't get communication right. And that's what we started in on talking about here. The, the other one is, is money, and the other one is sex. And so we're going to just kind of hit those three highlights here for the rest of our time. But back to communication, you know, Jamie's from the north. I'm from the south. You know, they say it like it is. We're sticky sweet, you know, until you turn your back around, and we'll stab you right in the back. But that's not how we everybody, do in the south. But. Not everybody, but you know what I'm saying? Those of you that grew up here, you know that sometimes we can just be really sweet to people's faces, and then as soon as they turn around, we'll bless their heart. We all know what that means. <laughs> it means that bless their precious heart and their stupid head. <laughs> and, and so we've got this rub on just the way that we do things. Um, Part of it was the way I, I was raised. Yeah. So I was raised in a family that that was just a thing, and when we got married... Um, we immediately set some boundaries up of what is acceptable. Because, I mean, I had never been told that it was really okay to have disagreements in a marriage. My parents had fights, not disagreements. They had fights, like outright. Um, I'm going to tell you all, this is a crazy story. Sorry, Mom, if you're watching this, I'm so sorry. But um, my parents got in a fight one day, um, and my mom was notorious for fighting with my dad and picking up her purse and saying, I'm out of here, and storming out and then leaving for hours. Now, granted, she'd always come back with gifts for us kids because she felt guilty. That was like the highlight, I guess, of the... But she would leave. And so my parents had this argument one day. And this is how I grew up watching this. My parents had an argument one day, and I remember my mom turning around and taking... She had a spatula she was cooking, and she threw it at my dad, grabbed her purse, went out, and the argument was about pruning the trees in the front yard that they had planted. Serious stuff. I mean, <laughs> you know, you argue over the dumbest things, but this was like a full out, like it just escalated really quickly. And so, um, my mom left, and my dad proceeded to go to the garage and get the chainsaw, and he went to the front yard and he cut the trees down. He just cut them down. I mean, this is the kind of environment. And granted, I mean, I'm saying all this, hear this. My parents loved Jesus, but they had never learned how to communicate with each other, and they, they weren't in relationship with other people that they could say, hey, we have a problem over here. And it's so important in the church that we know, hey, 
You don't have to slap on a fake face and come in saying everything's okay if it's not. Like, we're here to help each other have better, right? God came that we could have life more abundantly, right? And he wants us to have that now. But that sometimes means that you have to say in front of people, like, I'm, I'm just not okay. Like, I'm not handling this well. We need help. Or, and so since they never did that, here is the product, me, watching this growing up. And I married this great Southern guy who would have handled things very differently. But I had this way of just, you know, exploding on him. And then... We handled conflict, conflict resolution in my house much differently. I never really saw my parents argue in front of each other, except maybe one time that I ever remember in my entire life. And I remember like having a freak out moment, kind of as maybe a middle schooler or maybe twelve years old, somewhere around there. And uh, but besides that one time, you know, I knew that my mom and dad didn't always agree on everything, but I just never saw them work it out. They always kind of did it behind closed doors. And so I, I didn't really have that modeled for me to, to watch, like, how do we work things out in a godly way? I knew that they were. I just didn't see it a lot. I didn't see it often. But I did, I did have a lot of really good training, especially in my teenage years, I think, um, spe- specific training on how to do relationships. As a matter of fact, my grandfather uh, started a ministry called Divorce Prevention International. And, and so I remember going through those courses as, uh, as a teenager and learning a lot of really great things um, and then trying to work, use those things and work on them with an, an, as a newlywed, but with someone that never responded in the same way that I saw my mom and dad respond. It just threw me for a loop. And so you, we would. We'd end up arguing about the dumbest stuff. What was one of the things that we had one of our first arguments over? Oh, our, our very first fight was over creamy or crunchy peanut butter. And, I mean, it was, like, a big fight because I'm trying to, like, Dave Ramsey budget everything, and I didn't have enough in the budget to buy crunchy peanut butter, and I was a creamy peanut butter girl. And so I was like, we can't have both. We just can't. Like, this isn't going to work. And um, he finally was like, take money from next month's budget and put it in there, and we will actually eat all the peanut butter over the next two months instead of, I mean, it was, you know, whatever. But was it like a knockdown, drag out kind of yeah, fight yelling at each other so stupid, right? over peanut butter and what kind of toothpaste, what, you know, are we going to use Colgate or Crest or, you know, as a newlywed, these are the kinds of things. Just that, silly you know, things, stupid. right? And those kind of things try to creep in the longer, I mean, 20 years, there's still moments that we argue over things. You're like, this is the dumbest and then, how many of you have ever had... You don't have to raise your hand. No. How many of you have ever had a argument with your spouse, and when you're finished with it, you can't even tell what you were arguing over? Yeah. You don't even know yeah. what it was about. And so, um, we set up some boundaries, is what I was going to say earlier, and I forgot. That we set up some boundaries where um, I, we met with some counsel and said, we're having a little bit of issue communicating here. Can you help us? And one of the things that they had said is set up boundaries in your home of what you cannot do when you're in a disagreement. And so um, being raised in the household I was in, I said, don't you ever leave. Don't you ever leave this house when we're in the middle of an argument. Because that was so hurtful as a little kid watching that. And then he said, don't you ever don't slam, slam doors. Door. And I didn't see that modeled in my house. I just wasn't allowed to slam doors growing up, you know. And so... I just knew that slamming doors, that is a nonverbal, big 
communication thing, you know, slamming a door. And I was like, I, I don't want that. I don't want, I don't want to communicate that way. And so we said that, like, don't leave, don't slam doors. We're not, no one's sleeping on the couch ever. Yeah. And, and in almost 20 years of marriage, no one has slept on the couch one night unless there was a sickness or something yeah. like that. Uh, but, don't let but, the sun go down on your anger. Yeah. There, 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 and, and I will say there's been a few nights where we have like gone to bed angry, but pretty quickly the next morning we've been able to, to resolve it. Yeah. But we slept, we slept in the same bed. And then the next thing. Um, well, I want to say on that for a second because you'd mentioned something about this earlier. You know, what does it do to your kids when they get up in the morning and if they wander out in the living room and dad or mom is sleeping on the couch? What kind of insecurity does that build in them? So you've got to think through, my relationship is not just about us. It's about the entire family unit. And so you've got to to create some boundaries, set some rules up for yourself that not only help you guys resolve conflict between each other, but it's also for the security of your kids. You're modeling for them what they should or shouldn't do. And uh, I never want to build insecurity in my kids. Let me say this. If you have done this in the past, quit now. No shame. Just, you know, say to your, it's okay to say to your kids, hey, I'm sorry. And maybe dad and I haven't gotten along very well in front of you. Would you forgive us? And move forward and change the way that you've done things. And kids are so resilient. And thank God, thank God for his grace. That he, you know, washes over that, and somehow our kids just like forget all those things. Um, but from this moment on, as we speak this to you, don't—we uh, don't want anybody to feel condemned in here today. We want you to walk out of here going, "We can change. Yeah. I can, I can have better relationships." Absolutely. Um, I mean, we were, we were in we were in college together, studying to be in the ministry, and we were embarrassed that we were in this apartment. And who knows, our neighbors above us and on the side of us. Like, what a poor witness we were because we would scream at each other. And so, like, I know a lot of people, like, their first two or three years of marriage is bliss, but ours was hell. It was (laughs) awful. We can laugh about it now because we've come through it, but it was bad. It was was really bad. 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 But uh, another one of the rules that we have is, like, we don't throw things. We don't destroy property. You know, when we're angry or upset with one another. There was one time we did have a, a throwing situation. I was hoping you were going to skip that. <laughs> no, I think it's great. I think we should talk about it. Because I didn't throw anything. It was her that threw it. Well, okay, so I was pregnant. So you have Eight to know pregnant. I was yeah. pregnant. And we had just moved across the country from Missouri to Colorado. And um, we... Our brand new stainless steel, this is when stainless steel was really becoming big, brand new stainless steel refrigerator had just been delivered. And I was just emotional and hormonal, Lord knows. Um, And he said something that made me mad. Not in an ugly way. We were just having a a disagreement. I was talking to her like I was talking to you now. And I looked at him and said, say it again. (laughs) And I didn't say that thing again. I just said something else. Well, we had two kids and one on the way, so of course there's like sippy cups everywhere. So I see this sippy cup out of my eye, and I just grab it, and I peg him, right? Oh, yeah, right in the chest or shoulder or something like that. Wait, this is the best part. How humorous is this? It ricochets off his shoulder 
and puts a dent in my brand new stainless steel refrigerator. Oh, yeah, I pegged him hard, obviously. We lived in that house for four years. My shoulder was fine, but I was like sick about the fridge. <laughs> but the deal is, is after that is when we went, ooh, let's set another boundary. No throwing things. We're not allowed to throw things. You, so. you, do, things, you do things in anger or wrath that are just, you, you regret later. Yeah. And so you just have to, before you get into that moment, you set a rule for yourself. You set a boundary. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to cross this boundary before you even get to that moment. And so you don't have to walk in the place of regret. Right. You know, you don't have to for the four years that you go into that kitchen, look at that dent in the refrigerator and be reminded of that argument. Although I did. I was every day of my right, life. Right, exactly. But that, you wouldn't, we wouldn't have had to do that if right. we had already set that boundary. But that, that's just another tool. Put, put that tool in your belt mm-hmm. of like, Hey, th- th- I'm not going to cross this boundary. I'm not going to go beyond this in my anger, and uh, be helpful. And one of the one of the greatest tools, phrases that we ever were given, and I don't even remember who gave it to us, but we have used this time and time again. Is we learned three simple phrases in our marriage that we use. I had to use it yesterday. That is, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and I need your help. It is the most humbling thing on the face of the earth, especially when you were never taught how to say I'm sorry. Um, In our marriage, I always justified all my actions and had a rebuttal for everything. She can. I may not be very strong, but man, I'm strong out. My words are strong. And so um, somewhere along the way, he was like, you have got to learn to say I'm sorry without saying but after it. Because I would say, I'm sorry, but what I did and why I did it is because da 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 Or, I'm sorry, but you da 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 Well, you just negate your I'm sorry when you have a follow-up for it. So to just look at him and go, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I need your help, has been the most humbling. And yet, man, I will tell you, that takes down any wall immediately. It just disarms the whole situation with a simple I'm sorry. I was wrong. And so um, in communication, that's been probably the three greatest things, greatest phrases we've ever used. And I think, you know, we, we played you guys this the song last week, the Note to Self song, and there's a line in the song that says, you know, you don't have to say everything you think. And that doesn't mean that you don't have a voice in your relationship. That doesn't mean that when you, something needs to be said, you don't say it because you're afraid how the other person's going to respond. You know, but sometimes you have to just use wisdom and discernment and go, I just don't need to say that right now, or I need to not say anything right now. Oftentimes, my issue, as a, as a, you know, in the colors test, I'm a green, so I process a lot. And sometimes I need to actually say something and not just keep thinking it in my head. She thinks I'm giving her the silent treatment, and that's not the case at all. And she knows that because she knows my personality. But sometimes she goes, hello, are you hearing me? Can you respond? I'm like, yes, I, I hear you. I think I say your silence is deafening a lot. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be rude or ugly. Um, and so part of like, you just need to know you, the people that you're in a relationship with, you know, how has God crafted their personality? Cause some people are, they talk, 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 talk. And then some people are just very quiet and they process before they open their mouth. And so part, part of that, but you know, just 
Um, you don't have to say everything that you think sometimes, because that can save you. That Just can save you a, a, a lot of trouble in, my in head, life. It doesn't mean that it should come out of my mouth, and it really does all the time with me because I'm not a processor, so I have to like reel it in. And that's a good thing to learn too. Uh, let's talk about money in relationships and, and this this doesn't really money doesn't really affect all kinds of relationships but specifically like within a marriage and um, one of the things that we learned early um, I, I think we I don't know what kind of um, example you had coming up watching your parents handle money but my parents handled money pretty well and you know I could like balance a checkbook and I knew some basic things about, you know, okay, I needed to save and, you know, not get in debt, those kinds of things. But I don't, I don't think Jamie had quite the same example. He married into debt with me from college. Um, and I just, I don't think my parents, my parents were great parents, hear me, they were amazing parents, but I don't know that they took the time to teach me how to do financing. And so if I didn't learn it at school, I didn't learn it. And, um, you know, school taught me how to take out credit cards, and they just did. And so um, he married into some debt, and I, um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, like, um, with, with, any, with any relationship, if you think about it as a, as a chain, you know, any, every chain is only as strong as, as its weakest link. And so when we're talking about managing money within a marriage, if, if somebody is weak in that area, like, well, they probably shouldn't be making all the financial decisions, you know, if they've got. And, and just because, and I will say this, just because you know all the right things to do doesn't mean you do them. Because I had made some, I knew a lot of great things about money and how to handle money properly. But again, being young and being in college and having savings, man, I made some pretty unwise decisions because I had money and just because you have it and just because you know what to do with it doesn't mean that you do those things. And so we kind of learned that, and we had to walk through that. And I tell you what, if there's anything that puts stress on a, on a marriage, it's money problems. It's debt. It's uh, how are we, you know, we going to make ends meet? How are we going to pay the bills? You came home and you bought that. We don't need that. We need to be putting that money towards this thing. And that, that can cause a lot of, of stress. And so dealing with money, I would say, first of all, learn... The communication piece, because that's going to help be helpful. But then there's just some wisdom that you've got to walk through. And so, you know, whoever is the, the strongest money manager in your house, you know what? Let that person take the lead. I don't whether it's the husband or whether it's the wife. There's no sh- guys. There's no shame if, if your wife is a stronger money manager than you are to let her take the lead. That doesn't mean that you're completely uninvolved. But for some of you, the wives, the, the husband is stronger. And, uh, and so work together. And if you don't, if both of you are weak, go get some training. Go get some materials from Dave Ramsey. He's got some beautiful things, some wonderful things that will change your life if you just put them into action. But, um, yeah, don't, I wouldn't say, uh, for anybody just like have private accounts. I wouldn't do that. Like, don't, don't be having accounts that your spouse doesn't know about, you know, um, Unless you're going to, like, take her on a surprise cruise or something. Then yeah. maybe. No, but really, um, we make sure that we have access to each other's. Um, we do have two, two checking accounts, but we are able to both see them. And everybody knows. For everything's purposes. out on the table. Um, there's no hidden um, money. Yeah, there's no hidden money in our relationship. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, Financial Peace University, I know we've got some Dave Ramsey employees here. Um, best thing, best thing you could do for your marriage is to get out of debt. Um, Dave, you can send a check. Yeah. No, but really, um, that's, it's so good. I can't, I cannot say enough to you that, that Financial Peace University helped our marriage in a lot of ways. Um, for me in the beginning, I think this is just the kindness of him knowing I was scared to death to let somebody else run my money. It just felt very vulnerable and very like, I don't out of control. And so out of his kindness, he worked with me and taught me some things about how to run finances and said, okay, you can do this. But he continually, I mean, 20 years in, is still will check in on things and make sure things are going the way they need to. But I needed the security. That's, that's really where it came from in me more than it did that I was good at it. And he was willing to allow me to do that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so um, a few years ago, Lent was coming, and, and we do that as a family. We, we spend 40 days a year fasting and just seeking the Lord. And I, we, what we do is we come together, and then we send everybody to their own rooms, and we ask the Lord what he wants us to give up. And we came back together, and I was avoiding it. Like, I was like, there, I, there's got to be something else. There has to be something else. But I knew that the Lord was asking me to give up extra spending, and I had this tendency that I didn't realize how much of a tendency it was to just buy things because they were on sale or it was a good deal or, you know, wow, you can get that for that much. And so I'd buy it even when we didn't need it. And so for those 40 days, I was only allowed to buy what we needed, like groceries or, you know, things for the home, nothing else. And I would find myself having the tendency to, like, I had to avoid places like Bargain Hunt and Dirt Cheap and Target. Just avoid them like, like the plague because I knew if I went in there, I'd find a good deal and I would have to have it. And, I would. and we found over those 40 days that I had been spending frivolously money and it was small amounts here and there about how quickly it added up and that at the end of the month, there were times that the money didn't meet the end of the month. And if I hadn't have spent all that money on things we didn't need, like I really didn't need 20 extra toothbrushes under the sink because, I don't know, 20 people were going to come visit or something. I don't know. So weird. Just things that you, you would impulsively buy. I mean, I think that's a female thing more than a male thing. I don't know. But, but yes, but he, um, God was able to use that in that moment to kind of show me like, hey, you don't have to stock up on things that you don't need. I've got you covered. It's going to be fine. When you need it, it will be there like manna. And, and then through this season, it was so good to learn that three years ago because through the church planning season, I have learned to completely put my trust in that God provides for our everyday need like manna. A lot of times there's nothing left over, but what we need, we have when we need it. And I've been able to fully put my trust over in that. And I would, I would honestly say that at this point, too, um, my excessive need to control finances is probably not nearly where it was. And, and I um, am finding that I don't have to control it. God's in control. God's in control of our finances anyway. I use wisdom and allow him to fill in the gaps. Well, I think also uh, when the whole Lord spoke that to you to spend 
that 40 days of fasting, extra spending. It also revealed um, a habit that you had stepped into that wasn't necessarily just about money management, but it was also an issue of your heart, mm-hmm. um, where I think that any time that you wanted to celebrate something, you just went out and spent extra money. Or when I was any, upset. Or when I'd you were upset, something. you went out, you know, it's like sometimes some people do that with food. You know, oh, it's a happy moment. Let's eat, you know, four-scoop bowl of ice cream. <laughs> oh, I'm depressed. Let's eat a four-scoop bowl of ice cream. And so it was, that was kind of her version of that was spending. I wasn't so, finding it in the Lord. I was finding my, my joy that was so momentary. It was so fleeting. But you'd go buy something to like, oh, that felt good. And then it was gone 30 minutes later. Whereas if I would have just gone to the Lord and been like, what's going on with me? Why do I feel this? Why do I need to do this? It sure would have changed a lot of things for us. Well, it was a, it, honestly, it was kind of a, a relief to me because I, at a distance, not far distance, but, you know, I had been seeing this pattern develop in her life, and I was actually kind of becoming concerned about it because how it not just affected her, but it, how it affected the entire family. But I never really hit it head on. And maybe if I had to do it over again, I maybe would have would have started a conversation with you. But, I, you know, the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to you. And I was just like, when you came to the table that day and said, hey, this is what I feel like the Lord's telling me to fast. I, there was just like this, wow, this is awesome. God, you're good. I don't have to bring it up now. So um, He was afraid I was going to throw a sippy cup at him is what it really was. <laughs> no, I wasn't, wasn't worried about that. But I was just, I wanted her to be okay, you know. And we, we've walked through some, some difficult times in our life, not just in our relationship, but other things outside of our family and, and, and extended family and um, in business and in church world and uh, in health and things that just happen in life. And it can take your toll on you. And we all respond in different ways, which affects these three areas. It affects communication, it affects money, it affects uh, you know, your sexual habits. And so... It's important to just have all these things just completely surrendered to the Lord and be open for Holy Spirit to come and bring correction to you and affirmation to you if you're not even if you're not getting affirmation from anywhere else. Sometimes you can be doing the right thing, you can be doing exactly what God wants you to do and he's the only one that's patting you on the back and you just keep doing it. You just keep doing it because you believe that there is a breakthrough in consistency. There's breakthrough in the consistency of doing what God calls you to do. You may not see the light at the end of the tunnel right now. You may not be like, well, we're singing, here comes spring, but I don't see it. I, I see the sun is shining today, but I believe there's another storm coming. But you know what? Just keep responding in the right way. Keep responding in the, in the, in the Holy Spirit way, the way he's directing you. And I'm telling you, there is a breakthrough in the consistency of the way you respond. So uh, I, I, w- I want to just hammer on this, just touch this really lightly before we move on to the next piece. And that's, you know, uh, for those of you that you didn't have a, a great example of what it looked like to, to do money well, whether it be just personally as a single person or in a married relationship, again, there's lots of great resources out there. And I want to encourage you to not set your kids up for failure, maybe like the way that you were set up, but to do what you can to set your kids up for success in the sense of getting them the right financial education that they need. And so again, Ramsey Solutions has a great product out there called Generation Change. Um, I've been through with it with my own kids and probably will go with it through them again 
that just kind of helps them get a really good grasp on just basic <laughs> financial management so they don't find themselves in a position where they're in over their head in debt, they don't know what they're doing, they're overspending, they're buying things that they don't need, they know how to start investing even now as a young person. So communication, money, let's talk about the S word. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Sex. Everybody's got everybody's attention now, right? <laughs> um, sex, I believe, is a gift from God Amen. for marriage, within the bounds of marriage, between a man and a woman. We're just going to lay it all out there, just like that. And um, the enemy, one of his greatest tactics in derailing your marriage, and derailing your life, single people, derailing all of us as human beings, is taking this gift that God gave us for sexual desire and distorting it and twisting it and making it something that God never intended to be. And we have to be diligent. We have to be vigilant. We have to be on guard because it's everywhere in our culture. Everywhere in our culture, Satan is trying to, to twist this issue and distort this issue and confuse this issue for people. And so many people are. The percentages uh, of people that are, are confused on this issue are just keep, keep rising and rising and rising. But I'm telling you what, there's hope in the people of God that will raise up and say, you know what, we're going to do our, our, we're going to do our sexual relationships in the bounds of marriage. We're going to do it the right way, and we're going to be an example to the world. And in John 13, 34, 35, the way you love one another, they'll know that you're my disciples. And even this area of our lives, the way that we conduct ourselves sexually, can show people, hey, we're, it can give glory and honor to God. Dude, come on. Come here. Come here. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. Oh. Sorry, you guys. Dude. Hi. Hey. <laughs> How are you? All right, Will, this is just a family moment. I haven't seen this guy in years. And, uh, I misread the website. I thought it said 9 and 11. Oh, no, 9 to 11. So anyway. Well, come on, come on. Everybody, this is Thomas Ewing, a wonderful friend of mine I haven't seen in years. Love you, buddy. Glad you're here. Sorry. All right. Okay. Well, <clears throat> Have a seat. That's how we welcome all first-time guests. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what a wonderful treat. So... Honoring God in our, in our sexual relationships. And so, listen, if you're not married, stop messing around. Stop dabbling. You listen, you've got this desire. It's a gift God gave you. But you've got the responsibility now to learn how to steward it well. And when, you know, I just saw this. Someone posted this the other day on Facebook. It was an article. And I saw this headline. I didn't read the entire article, but I saw the headline. It was so good. And I think it was Danielle that posted it. It said, Boyfriends don't get the same privileges as husbands. That's so true. That's so true. Listen, until you're married, you don't act like you're married. Until you get the you put a ring on it, <laughs> you, you. And then when you're married, here. act like you're married. When you are married. I've like a million times over said it's such a ploy of Satan to like when you're dating somebody you can't leave each other alone like all you can think about is that and then you get married and it's like meh 
what is that? What is that? And so um, do what it takes to cultivate that. I said to him the other day, I said, you have to tend the garden to make the flowers bloom. And if you don't tend the garden, the weeds, they come up and they squelch everything. And so it's super important when you're a married couple, cultivate your garden of a relationship. Do what it takes to um, stay motivated with each other. One of the things that's the, the greatest weapon in this area that the enemy is using is pornography. Uh, I was exposed to pornography as a kid. Not, it was not in my house, uh, not in my house, but um, at, a friend's, at a friend's house. And, uh, man, it just planted a seed and awoke things inside of me as, as, a, as a young boy that should have laid dormant for a while longer, you know. And, uh, and it wasn't something I don't think I became addicted to immediately as a child, but later through my life as I got more access and it was, it had more exposure and, and friends were, were involved in pornography, it crept into my life and became, it became a weapon the enemy used against me. And uh, I struggled with it. And, I, and I, th- I thought to myself, well, you know, you know what will fix this is getting married. Getting married will fix this issue in my life, and I won't have a desire for this anymore. But that just wasn't the case. That's not how it works. And there's so many men, and women for that matter, because that number is on the rise, that statistic is on the rise, that pornography is just, uh, it's, again, the, the enemy is using it to degrade your relationship between you and your wife, or if a single person, it's not okay. You know, it's not just something that you do. Well, we're, we're married now. I don't do that anymore. I do it as a single person. No, no. You have responsibility to steward your own heart, to steward your own mind and your thoughts in a way that honors the Lord in the way that he created and crafted you and in a way that's going to honor the relationship that's coming your way, single people. And so um, I remember in, in early, early years in our marriage, this being a problem. And didn't know what to do. And there's a lot of shame attached to it. And, and this is, we're talking 20 years ago where this is very taboo. It's much more taboo than it is to talk about it today in the church world. You know, as we were preparing to share about this issue, um, she's like, are you sure you want to go here? Are you sure you want to share, be that vulnerable and share this, you know, the struggle that you had? I said, yeah. I said, I'm tired of the church not addressing this issue head on. And I'm tired of it wrecking men and women and their marriages. I'm tired of it uh, destroying single people and setting them up for failure before they even get into a God-ordained relationship. I'm done with that. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to bring it into the light. If you want something healed, you got to bring it out into the light. And so, listen, if this is an issue in your life, find somebody to go and just confess to. You don't need to come up here on the microphone and just confess to everybody what your struggle is, but find a trusted friend, a strong believer. Guys, it should be a guy. More than likely, it should be an an older, strong in the Lord, adult male. Ladies, flip that. If you're having an issue with sexual things in your life, pornography or some other thing, then you need to go to another woman who's strong in the Lord, more than likely older than you, to, to confess and you know what the, James says? James says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Yeah. There's healing when you bring it into the light. There's a healing process that begins. Um, and, and so 
there, there's great counseling, and one of the great resources out there that uh, we firmly believe in is called triplexchurch.com. And so this is a wonderful resource that's out there that's helping men and women uh, get free from this addiction and overcome it and walk in freedom. But um, I'm just looking at these, these notes here. It's, it's everywhere, you guys. It's everywhere. You walk into the mall, and you can't walk by Victoria's Secret in the mall and not be like, oh, wow. I mean, they're not completely nude, but it's like, come on. That, that's, more, that's, that's less clothes on somebody than you ought to be looking at. It's not your spouse. And it is everywhere. But you know what? I believe, I firmly believe, I can sit here and tell you honestly, this is an issue that can be overcome. Yeah. There's been times in my life, you guys, where I thought, well, this is just my lot in life. This is just my thorn. I'm going to have to deal with this for the rest of my life. Because what, what I would happen is I would walk into a season, season of freedom and I would be going great, and then all of a sudden, I would, I would hit a moment of weakness, and then I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm such a failure. And you know what I felt? I felt like then my relationship with God was hurt or damaged. And it wasn't God turning his back on me and walking away going, I'm ashamed of you. I can't believe that you did that. You know, get out of my face. No, it was just, that's the nature of sin. Sin lies to, to you and says, well, this, this is what separates you from God. But Paul said, Nothing can separate us from right. the love of God. Right. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so you know what I did? I found people that I trusted that I could go to and be accountable to and bring this issue to that would come in and check with me, check in on me, that if I was having a, a, a hard moment, if I was feeling one way, I could go to them and talk to them. I could, Jamie and I, this was a, created a tremendous amount of stress in our lives at the beginning of this process. Yeah, I think... Um... You know, I, I married this guy who was headed to ministry, and we we got married at a Bible school. I just never imagined that this would be something that I was going to battle with. And let me just speak to that. There are lots and lots of young men battling this, girls, and 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 girls too. But as a spouse of someone who is battling with pornography, what it does in you is this downward like spiral of: Am I not good enough? Am I not pretty enough? Am I not thin enough? All these things, like just oh, a barrage of it. And I allowed myself to rest in that for a little while. And then we sought counsel. And I'll never forget the wife of, of a husband that he was counseling with, um, that he had, too, overcome this addiction. I don't know what else to call it. Um, she said to me, I was in that place. But she said, what if you were to look at your husband and see him as the nine-year-old that was subjected to pornography? And realize that you have the opportunity to come alongside him and help him fight this battle. I didn't buy into it at first. I really didn't because it was so painful. And it, was, it felt so, ugh. And, and it felt like we couldn't tell anybody. We couldn't share it in our community because it was not allowed. You weren't allowed to have downfalls. You weren't allowed to be walking through hard things. Um, Luckily, we had found a couple that allowed us to just divulge our whole life to and say, we're, we're having issues here. Um, and they really took us to the cross, said Jesus was enough to cover all of this. And I remember you reading that scripture that says, how does a young man keep his way pure according to the word of God? And he started diving into the word of God. And when he would feel those things um, pulling him in that direction, he would find scriptures to stand on and he would come to me and say, I need help. I need help right now. And instead of me going, ugh, gross, 
I went, okay, let's fight this. Let's fight this battle. And, you know, I can tell you now, 20 years later, God has been so amazing. And, and the addiction is it's a legitimate thing. Like, I mean, he, if he is going to be pulled in that direction at all, he immediately is like, Mm-mm, I need someone, I need help. And so what we did again was we put up firewalls right. in our marriage. Again, we found that allowing community to help us really brought us to a place of freedom. It wasn't embarrassing. It wasn't, and we found that the more we talked about it, the more we found people had these issues. We weren't the only couple having this issue. He wasn't the only young man having this issue. And so um, we set it up on our computers. First off, we had a, a rule, and we still have a rule in our house, no TVs in bedrooms for our kids, computers in bedrooms. Like, we try to keep all those things out in the open. But then, two, Triple um, X Church has a program where if anything that is questionable is visited on your computers or devices, you pick an armor bearer that that is sent to. And so one of the men... You just get a weekly report. And it shows any, everything any that has been flagged as yeah. like a, hmm, this might be questionable. And what that did for me as a wife was it took that responsibility of always feeling like, give me your phone, let me check your phone, let me check your computer, let me... To know that this pastor friend of ours gets a weekly report if there's, if there's been anything that has been questionably visited. And it has helped our relationship so much in that, that now I, I trust. I trust him. I trust him with his phone. I trust him with his computer. And I trust that he has become strong and strong we, together right. to be able to say, I need help in those moments. And it's not blind trust either. Um, I, I've talked with guys and um, seen this where, like, they are freaked out anytime anyone else grabs their phone. They're freaked out if anyone else is on their computer. And let me just tell you this. My wife has access to every account that I ever have, every password. There's no hidden things that I have from her. There's no hidden, um, you know, social media accounts. There's no hidden anything. We have all access to everything, every part of our life. The two have become one, right? And so she has complete access to all of my devices, to any of my passwords, to any of that. She can look through my emails. She can look through my Facebook messages. She can look through my texts. She can look through my browser history. She can look through any of that because I'm, a, I'm accountable to her, and she's accountable to me. And, uh, and, and I want to encourage you, help your kids. Again, set your kids up for success in this area. My kids, I, you know, they're, they're, again, the same thing. The same rule applies. There's no account or password that I don't have of something that, there's, that they have. I've got all access to everything. And I think it's important, too, especially as a family, discuss this stuff. Don't sweep it under the rug. If you've got kids, talk to them about it because it's running rampant. And, and just do simple other things. Again, create boundaries, uh, create rules for yourself, that it, not to walk in legalism, but to help you maintain a pure heart, mm-hmm. to maintain a healthy sexual relationship within your marriage. Or if you are not married yet, to maintain that so that you are not crossing boundaries before you get married. And so one of those things is, is uh, you know, we don't, we don't just watch every movie that comes out. 
There's certain things, there's certain shows, there's certain things that we just don't watch because we know that it plants seeds in our heart for things that are ungodly. And so, uh, you know, I'm not just saying that I, what's that, what's the angel TV? What's, I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't watch that. I'm just saying that, I mean, there are things that I watch that I don't watch strictly Christian programming, but there's some, some things that come on. I'm just like, I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to watch the 50 shades movie because that plants things in my heart that I don't want there. That plants ideas in my head that I don't want there of infidelity, you know? um, And going back to that on communication, um, you know, there was a few years ago, a movie, he was out of town. There was a movie that I watched that was just a romantic movie. But it stirred something up in me that I knew was not godly. And I, I knew while I was watching it, shut this off, shut this off. And I didn't do it. When he came home, again, those three phrases, I said, babe, I have to apologize. I'm, I'm sorry I watched that. I'm sorry that I allowed my mind to go there. And I need to ask you to forgive me. Be open with each other and honest with each other about struggles that you're battling with. And this, and this goes beyond, you know, the issue of pornography. I mean, we have real-life relationships with people that can cross boundaries, too, especially uh, in the workplace when you're separated from your spouse and there's not as, you don't have the same kind of level of accountability. And you just have to set yourself up, set boundaries for yourself and not cross those. I remember this, this one time where we were on a cruise together and we were there with uh, even some family members. And my brother-in-law and I were sitting on this lounge on like this couch. We're sitting in this little area and this random woman that we didn't know just came and sat down right next to us in this other chair, just right across from us here and started engaging us in conversation. And uh, my brother-in-law was, he's a people person. He can just talked to anybody. I was kind of being a little bit more quiet. I'm very guarded. And then she, she said, uh, eventually she goes, so what are you guys doing tonight? And I said, nothing with you. And I don't know what her intentions were, but I just know that I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to be ruthless about guarding my marriage, about guarding my heart, about walking in purity in this area. Do I get it right every time? No. No, I don't. But you know what? There's certain things I just know. Like when I hit that, when I hit that boundary, guys, let me just give you another one. Guys, go to bed when your wife goes to bed. When you stay up late beyond when she's in bed, you know what? Things happen that... You shouldn't be doing a lot. Go to bed when your wife goes to bed. Like, well, that's like 8.30 at night. I know it's, the sun's still up. I don't go to bed at Well, wife, maybe stay until 9.30, okay? But there, there are certain things that you do to set yourself up for success. Yeah. And do those things. We're not talking about walking in legalism. We're actually talking about walking in freedom. Yeah. This stuff will keep you free. It'll keep you free from the entanglement and the bondage of sin. And you're, you're free from it already. We just have to walk, walk in it. Amen? I think it's important um, as we close down today, these three things can be heavy. And there's so much more. I mean, we could have done a, you know, a Sunday on each one of them. But, um, A, we don't want anybody to walk out of here feeling any condemnation. Just right. know that from this moment, you can change. Your relationships can be better within your marriage. Your relationships can be better with your friends, with your parents, communication, you know, money, sex, these things. Give each other grace. You know, it's really easy to sometimes give other people grace 
but not yourself. And so, too, when you make mistakes, give yourself grace to go, oof, all right, well, I won't do it that way next time. And, Just and keep be surrendering kind. everything to the Holy Spirit. Be kind to yourself as you navigate through this and learn. I mean, 20 years in, and like I said yesterday, I had to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I need your help. It's a constant growth. Um, I just finished a book a few weeks ago called The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller. Single or married, I would highly, highly suggest this book, The Meaning of Marriage. It's just unbelievable. But somewhere in that, um, I forgot what I was going to say. Isn't that a great moment in front of everybody? It's all right. Um, It it really was so good for me to read and just to go... um, wow, I've got to give myself some grace and I've got to be able to give you some grace to make mistakes and know that, oh, I know what it was, that marriage is not for you to be happy, to make each other happy, but marriage is to make each other holy. And that was so good. That was so good that we get to help each other and spar each other on to walk closer with the Lord. And so this is the one place where like you can't just easily run away from each other. So this should be a safety place where I can say, I'm having some issues here. Can you help me? And he has always been gracious to help me find the Lord in the midst of my mess. And vice versa. You know, I, when, you, when you say to your spouse or say to anyone for that matter that maybe you've, you've hurt, whether you've done it on purpose or not, and you say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And that one's a hard one to say sometimes because sometimes we do things but we felt like they were the right thing, but even though they hurt, they hurt people. Sometimes it, to salvage a relationship, you can just say that. Maybe not what you did was the wrong way, but maybe the way you did it was the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And then I need your help. There's the wrap-up music. <laughs> and if, if someone comes to you and says that, be quick to forgive. I want to encourage you, just be quick to forgive. Don't hold on to a grudge. Don't hold on to unforgiveness because that will be like bitterness and will take root in your heart. Going back to the, the garden analogy, we'll wrap it up here. Going back to the, the garden analogy that Jamie was talking about, man, if you don't tend to that, to your garden, if you don't tend to your relationships like a garden, if you don't water, if you don't nurture, If you don't watch what's growing in the garden, weeds will grow up and it'll choke the life out of the things that you supposed to be bearing fruit. Supposed to be, it'll choke your harvest out. But the flip side of that is if you do cultivate, if you do follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your relationships, if you do walk in discernment and wisdom, if you do walk in grace and forgiveness, then it gives that, that nutrients to those things that you've planted. It gives those nutrients to your relationship to grow and to get a harvest, be a wonderful harvest. Amen. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what he called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.